All right, well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, with Memorial Day coming tomorrow and the chance that we have to pause and give thanks to those who gave their lives for our freedoms. And in my, li- in my world, uh, I consider that kind of a kickoff to summer, so I thought it was appropriate for us today to begin our summer sermon series. So today we're kicking that off, and throughout the summer we're going to be in a series called Summer in the Psalms. Uh, and I love the Psalms. I love the, the honesty, the worship, the wisdom, and the perspective that the Psalms bring into our lives. I love the emotion and the passion of the Psalms. And I love just how applicable the Psalms all are to our daily lives. Today we're going to begin our series. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 127. And we're going to spend the next two Sundays unpacking this Psalm of Wisdom from Solomon. You see, as we walk through this life, most of us walk through this life with an inner dialogue in our head that kind of narrates the story of our life. We view everything in this world through the lens of me, and we narrate this incredible story where we are the main protagonist at the center of an incredible journey. Some days we're the victim, some days we triumph, but most days we view ourselves as the hero of whatever it is we're trying to do. We naturally view ourselves at the center of everything. We view ourselves as the sun in the solar system. We believe we hold things together and it all revolves around us. But the Bible and our faith is constantly challenging this idea. We saw this last week. The Bible doesn't call on us to revolve our lives around our wants, our needs, our desires, or even those of our immediate family. But instead, the Bible calls on us to revolve or center our life around Jesus and his mission and purpose for our lives. And we live in this constant tension as believers between our natural draw toward ourselves and our call to center our lives around Jesus. And in Psalm 127, God, through the wisdom of Solomon, is going to remind us just how little control we have over our life and just how dependent we all are on our all-powerful, almighty, all-loving God. And what we're going to see is that, that it is not that we should become lazy sluggards, but instead that we can trust all that we do, all that we have, all that we have been given to God, and in that we can cast our anxieties, our troubles, and our worries to Him. As I said, we're going to spend two weeks on Psalm 127. And so this week we're going to spend most of our time on verses 1 and 2, and we're going to look at wisdom regarding our lives uh, as a whole. And then next week we're going to spend our time primarily looking at its wisdom regarding the family and how we as individuals and churches are called to invest in the next generation. I think it's going to be a great two weeks, and I am so excited you are with us today. So we're going to be in Psalm 127, um, for starting in verse 1. Solomon writes, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the wisdom of Solomon that is recorded here for us today. God, I pray uh, that as we study this passage of Scripture that you would open our hearts and our minds to where, uh, where we need to be more dependent on you, where we need to recenter our life around you. God, we thank you that you are our protector and our preserver. We thank you that you ultimately are the one that provides for us and meets our needs, Lord. 
So God, I pray that as we study this passage of Scripture, you would open our eyes to where we are bearing burdens and worries and anxieties that were not meant for us, but were meant for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, cast those anxieties, those worries, those fears to you, Lord, and find our rest in you alone. God, we thank you that you are our provider, our sustainer, that we can have life and life abundant in you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So before we get to this psalm itself, we have to uh, talk about a really uh, important bit of context for this psalm. In your Bible, if you're reading your Bible, there's likely a heading over Psalm 127, and it probably says two different things. First, it indicates that it's a psalm of ascent, and then it likely says it is a psalm of Solomon, or it was written by Solomon. And so uh, the first important thing is that it's a psalm of ascent, and I love the psalms of ascent. They are a collection of psalms that I go back to regularly to be encouraged, to gain perspective, and to be reminded of who God is and who I am. Historically, the Psalms of Ascent were a collection of psalms that pilgrims would sing both individually and collectively as they ascended the steps to the temple. There are 15 of these Psalms of Ascent, and they're in your Bible in Psalms 120 to 134. But these were songs that prepared the hearts of the men and women to come and worship God. It's also important that we know it's a psalm of ascent because it indicates that these psalms had both individual implications but also corporate implications as these psalms were sung collectively as the worshipers prepared for the, for the temple. The second thing we have to understand about Psalm 127 is that it is a wisdom psalm. Now we just got finished with a series on the one another statements of the New Testament. The one another statements are command statements. Love one another, esteem one another, serve one another, forgive one another. These were commands that we as Christians were to put into practice as we live life together and as we live life in this world. Wisdom literature is not written in the form of commands. This is so important for us to understand, especially since we're coming off the heels of commands. Command literature is written as direct instruction. Go and do this. But wisdom literature, on the other hand, it paints a picture of the common result of certain actions, and in that we learn how to live in the present. Wisdom literature seeks to show us how to live wisely in this world and in relationship with God. Right? We still use this kind of wisdom in our world today. Uh, like in the team or the business world, there's a wisdom statement that says a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. The picture here paints a, a picture of a broken chain that breaks at that weak link. So what's the application for us from that wisdom statement? It is to strengthen, to invest our time in that weak link or that weak member of the team. And so as we read Psalm 127, we do so through the lens of wisdom literature. Solomon is painting us a picture of the end result with the desire for us to change how we live, how we walk with God in the immediate. So this psalm isn't intended to be about literal bread, sleep cycles, or archery hunting. It's about how do we walk with the Lord day in and day out. And then next week we'll see how do we wisely parent and corporately and individually invest in the next generation. So with that in the back of our minds, let's look at verse 1. Solomon writes, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So in verse 1, Solomon gives us two different comparative statements, but both of these comparative statements offer up a similar picture. Families build houses to protect themselves from the elements, from thieves, from outside forces. 
And cities in that time would hire guardsmen to patrol and protect the city from enemies, from outside forces, and from invasion. And so both of these comparative statements paint the picture of preservation and or protection. So Solomon says, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord protects and preserves, our efforts are in vain. Still, what, what does that mean? Well, vain here means futile and pointless. And so what Solomon is saying in this verse is he is saying that working, laboring to build and protect is done in vain. So does that mean we should all quit working? That we should all quit locking our doors? That we should all embrace the homeless lifestyle and just trust God with our day-to-day? Of course not. Uh, we know that's not true because Solomon's also the author of a bulk of the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, he clearly speaks of the importance of hard work. The importance of, of protecting and, and serving and, and taking care of our family. So we know that this is, is a picture and not a literal command. Proverbs 10, 4-5, Solomon writes, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 12, 24, he says, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. And my personal favorite, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 26, 15, he writes, A sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. I love that one. It's like the, the ultimate Christian yo mama joke. Like, yo mama's such a sluggard that she puts her hand in the jar and she's so lazy she can't bring it back to her mouth. But clearly, Solomon's not condemning hard work. He's not condemning our efforts to protect our families. But what he is condemning is this mindset and belief that we, are the protector and preserver alone. He's trying to instill in us a perspective that, yes, we effort, but we humbly recognize it is ultimately God that is in control. He is calling us to a perspective where we acknowledge and recognize God's preservation and protection in our lives. So that's our first point. God is our preserver and protector, not us. Our labors are in vain if God doesn't preserve and protect. Ultimately, there are a lot of things that we cannot Control. Let me, let me give you a quick example from life in Wyoming. I think we got a picture here, but this is a picture of a snowman that Caveman and I built on May 18th, 2017. Yes, we built a snowman on May 18th, and yes, that is at times depressing reality of living in Wyoming. But that's not the main point. Uh, Caveman and I spent hours on this snowman. He was two at this time. This is one of the first snowmen he had built. So we spent hours getting it just the way he wanted and just the way he wanted it included accessories like lawnmowers and trucks on heads. But he was so excited about this snowman. And so after, that day, after we built that snowman, we, we came into the house, we had our hot chocolate. But all day he would run to the window and he would check on his snowman. He would touch it up if he saw that some snow had fallen off. He, he did his best to look over and protect his snowman. He labored to build it. He watched it the best he could. Uh, but all of those efforts were in vain because this was a May snowstorm. The next day, the sun came out. The temperatures rose above freezing. And despite our best efforts to keep packing on the snow, that's what our snowman looked like the next day. And we don't have a picture of day three because it was completely gone by then. But we efforted, we, we efforted but we didn't have the power to control the sun. And so in the same way, Solomon says to us, work hard, fulfill your responsibility, but you do so with the perspective and the recognition that it is ultimately God who protects and preserves. 
in our working and in our watching, we recognize that it is God that ultimately preserves and protects us and our family that we love. God is the hero in our story, not us. He is the preserver and the protector. So what's the point of this? Well, as we said, wisdom literature paints a picture of the end. It gives us a principle that we take and apply uh, to our daily lives. So if we know that it is ultimately God that provides and protects and not us, then it gives us freedom to let things go and to trust the results to God. It gives us freedom to look at our lives and look at where we are trying to play the role of God and let those areas go and trust them to him. So where are we, where are you, bearing burdens, bearing pressures and responsibility that are not intended for us, but that are only intended for God? For me, this is most often the area where I worry the most. And so what are those areas that you worry as opposed to trusting the results to God? For you, maybe it's your future. Maybe you're working hard to get into college or to save for retirement or to get the promotion, but you work hard and you worry about these results that are out of your control. And so what Psalm 127 is speaking over your life is work hard, pray, and then trust the results to God. You can work, scheme, worry, and fret, but ultimately the future rests in God's hands, not yours. Or for maybe you, your your greatest worry is your family. For you, it may be a future spouse, future children, current children, or grown children that you worry constantly about. And we'll spend more time on this next week, but Solomon is speaking over your worry. Trust those things to God. If you're single, grow in your love for God. Grow in your relationship with Him. Be kind to people and trust your future to Him. If you're a parent, love your children. Speak truth over their lives. Model the gospel for them. Teach them about and point them to Jesus. But then remember their future Their salvation, their protection does not rest in your hands, but ultimately in God's hands. And so you can trust the results to him. God has a plan for each of our children, and he alone is in control of that plan. We don't know what the plan is, so we trust it to God. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean we stop parenting with wisdom. It doesn't mean we let our kids do whatever they want. But it does mean that when we do the best we can seeking the Lord, we trust him with our children's salvation and lives. We can stop bearing the weight and the burdens that were intended for God and not for you and I. Our responsibility is to parent, love, share in the joy of family, and model and teach the gospel to our children and trust their future to him. So how do we practically trust God with the things that cause us to worry? How do we day-to-day, moment-by-moment, release our cares to him? The biggest way we do this is we first, we recognize Those areas of worry, those areas where we tend to hold on to control and try to micromanage things. Acknowledge those areas and then consciously hand them over to God through prayer. You can do that once, but that's probably going to be a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing. As you feel yourself starting to stress about something, stop and pray and turn the problem or the situation over to God. That seems simple, but that can make a huge difference as you moment-by-moment turn your stresses, your, your burdens that are not intended for you as you turn them back to God. So we are called to work hard, to act responsibi- responsibly, but we are given the freedom to trust our worries and our burdens to God, who is the only one that is capable to preserve and protect. Let's look at verse 2. Here Solomon gives us another area of our life where we often try to play the role of God and take on the responsibility that was only intended for him. Solomon writes, In vain you rise early and stay up late. Toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. 
So Solomon once again calls something vain and pointless. This time it is rising up early and staying up late. So is Solomon here, is he giving us sleep cycle advice? At first, we read that, and that's kind of how it seems, but I don't, I don't think that's the main point. Solomon here is not condemning the early riser or the night owls, but instead he is condemning the self-reliance that we are so prone to. He is calling out the, our perceived sense of reliance when it comes to our own provision. We love to believe that we are the ones that provide, but Solomon and the Bible tell us that it is God alone that provides. We believe that it is all in our control, our provision for ourselves and for our families. We believe it's all about us and what we do. And in Wyoming, we take this concept of self-reliance and we like magnify it to the nth degree. We are a people that pull themselves up by their bootstraps and we believe we can MacGyver a solution to any and every problem. And while that might be an admirable quality, when we take it too far, we shift our dependence and reliance from God to ourselves. And we begin to carry burdens and weights that we were not created to carry. We get to begin to worry about things that God has promised that he has covered. And sometimes these things are material, but often they're not. Sometimes our worries are relational, and we begin to try to force or craft solutions. Sometimes our, our worries are health-related, and we need to trust God and the doctors and the wisdom around us instead of manufacturing a solution on our own. Sometimes it's our children. We worry and we step in to solve things for them or arrange situations just the way we think they should be. When instead we need to trust them to him and trust the resolution to the problem to him as well. Sometimes it's a worry, a problem, an enemy that we see way off in the future. And we are stressing and and burdened by it instead of praying and trusting it to God. When we begin to bear God-sized burdens, things out of our control, it can lead us to sin as we seek to manufacture a solution. We talked about it in last week's sermon, but we were created by God to need, to be dependent on Him. And when we try to meet those needs on our own, it often leads us down paths of sin. Last week we talked about how the world fills that void with drink, with drugs, with poor relationships, with pleasure, and so on. And what we said, the only real solution for our need is God. But this week, I, I want to talk about how we, how, how we try to often fill that void by taking things into our own hands and trying to solve problems in our own power without consulting and trusting God. This is the urge that we have to just kind of help God along, to help him out a little bit, to speed up the process. A great example of a real uh, a problem being solved in a human way or a God-sized problem being solved in a human way comes in Genesis 16. In the book of Genesis, God comes to Abraham, who is an old man, and he tells him that he will give him a child, and he is going to make a great nation out of his family. Well, because Abraham and his wife Sarah were old, this seemed like an impossibility in their mind. And they let some time pass, but then they decide to create a human solution to a God-sized problem. And so Sarah gives Abraham her servant and tells him to have a child with her, as opposed to trusting God's promise of her own child. They proceed with this human solution to a God-sized plan, and Hagar gives birth to Abraham's child, Ishmael. But as always, God keeps his promise, and a time later, Sarah gives birth to her own son, Isaac. And so as opposed to trusting God, they came up with their own solution. As you might imagine, this created some familial issues at the time. And this one still creates issues today. 
I was reading a U.S. news report on the current Palestinian and Israeli conflict. And in that U.S. news report, they cited the Genesis account in explaining the origin of the issue. Because the Jews traced their lineage to Isaac, while the Palestinians traced their lineage to Ishmael, and they still fight over the same land. But the the picture is when we, in our self-reliance, try and create human solutions to God-sized problems as opposed to trusting God, it often leads us to sin. And it leads us to short-term solutions to those God-sized problems. Sarah and Abraham had been given a clear promise from God, and all they had to do was be patient and wait for God to provide. But they didn't. They, they got impatient. They took matters into their own hands. And their well-intentioned sin created a problem that had lasting consequences. But we can learn from their mistakes. We can stop worrying and creating our own solutions and instead trust God, be faithful to pray, wait patiently, and know that the Lord will fulfill His promises. For you, what is that area that you find yourself creating human solutions to God-sized problems and not trusting Him? This week, when you find yourself in the cycle of worry and toiling, stressed and trying to come up with your own solutions, stop and ask the Lord for wisdom. And then obey and wait patiently for Him to provide. So that's our second point. It is God that is our sustainer and provider. It's not us. Solomon is calling us to trust God when it comes to our provision. We talked about this earlier, but he is not calling us to not work. He is not calling us to live off the government. He is not calling us to be moochers. Throughout the Bible, we are called to work hard. But here he is calling us to not worry, to not anxiously toil about our provision. He is calling us to know our role and to trust God. I mean, what's our instinct when a need arises in our life? For most of us, when our, in, our instinct, when a need or a problem arises, is, is to toil. It's to get up early. It's to stay up late trying to solve the problem. But Solomon is saying, trust God and rest. When there's a problem, it is our tendency to double down on our own resolve, on our own resources, on our own worry. We work harder, try harder, worry more instead of trusting God. I remember a time in my life where this happened. We had just moved to Helena, Montana. It would have been 2013, 2012, somewhere in there. And just when we got there, we found out that Melody was pregnant with our first son. And we moved there with a budget and just enough money to survive. But then we got that news. We were excited. But then I began to plan, scheme, worry day in and and every night about how we were going to pay for a baby, pay the medical bills, figure out childcare, and so many other things. The solutions were where we had been, but now we had moved. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any solutions, but I was worried, and I toiled trying to figure it out. But ultimately, as time unfolded, God faithfully provided. He provided through extra work, through extra sub-jobs, through a move and a new job, and he used a car wreck and an insurance settlement to pay our medical bills. I toiled, I worried, and I forgot to play my role, yet God still provided My role was to work hard, to search for solutions, but to trust that God would provide. Instead, I worked hard, I searched for solutions, and I worried and I toiled as though it all depended on me. And my definition of toiling is just this, it's this, when we just work hard, when we worry, when we think, but we go nowhere. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon calls this toiling for the wind. It's that idea of just digging a hole to stay busy and then filling it back in. Working hard, worrying, because it's all that we know to do. And what Solomon and Jesus in Matthew 6 tell us is to not worry. 
to not toil over our problems, to not double down on our self-reliance, but to trust that God will provide, protect, and to give our burdens to Him. Trust that He will be the bearer of our burdens and the solver of our problems. The Bible assures us that He is big enough, that He is sovereign, that He is in control. Here are Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 25-27. Jesus tells us, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do, uh, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, as believers of the Bible, we can know with confidence that God is faithful, that he is our provider, that he is our sustainer, and we can trust him in our problems. You can trust him to provide material things, but also you can trust him to meet your relational needs, the needs of your children, your employees, your students, your extended family. It is so easy to live our lives trusting and believing that we are provider, the provider in our lives, but even our ability to provide is a gift from God. Our work, our health, our employer, our job opportunities are all a gift from God. We must live our lives knowing that it is God that provides, that he's the provider of all things, and we live in gratitude for that provision. Live without worry knowing he is the one that provides, and he is faithful to do so. And live without the the God complex, believing that we are the sustainer and provider. I think more than ever, we have become aware of this this past year and a half. Our world was shook up in a huge way. And in that, some of you lost jobs that that seemed incredibly stable. And if you didn't lose a job, you know someone that lost a job that seemed stable. Some of us lost our health, or at least we know someone that lost their health when their health had seemed stable. All of our jobs likely changed in the last year and a half to some degree. Degree. Our world was turned upside down seemingly in an instant. And this was a great reminder that we are not God and that we can trust God-sized things to God. And those are things that only he is capable of bearing the burden of. We have to know to play our role. Our role is to work hard and to trust God and to give glory to God for our provision and for ourselves. So early 1990s, I was a young kid. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. And Portland was an awesome. Portland was a one-team city, and we loved the Portland Trailblazers. And those were the glory years for the Trailblazers. Now, I idolized Clyde Drexler and Terry Porter and Jerome Kersey and Buck Williams and Kevin Duckworth and so on. I mean, those guys were my heroes. I actually got to meet Terry Porter about five years ago, and the guy was as nice as I could have ever dreamed it, like justified my whole childhood but I loved the Blazers and I was extra blessed because my grandparents had season tickets and they always bought an extra ticket to take a grandchild so I get to go to 10 to 15 games a year and the Blazers like I said those are their glory years Uh, during that time stretch they went to the NBA finals twice but the problem was they always met the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Bulls had a guy by the name of Michael Jordan on their team and I hated Michael Jordan And I hated the Chicago Bulls. But Michael Jordan was unquestionably the best player in basketball, and it wasn't even close. I mean, he was awesome. But what made the Bulls so good was they surrounded him with players that just did their job. They played their role, and they trusted that Michael Jordan was going to win the game for them. 
I mean, they had a guy, Dennis Rodman, he rebounded. Steve Kerr and John Paxson, they just drilled, drilled jump shots. Bill Winnington, he didn't have a lot of skill, but he was tall. Uh, B.J. Armstrong passed. Horace Grant was the enforcer. And Scottie Pippen was the perfect number two. And outside of Pip, Pippen and Rodman, none of these guys were all-stars, but they all played their role. And they trusted that the big moments, the wins, and the championships would come because they had Michael Jordan on their team. They knew they had the best player in the world on their team. And so they knew if they just did their jobs, then Jordan would come through and they would win. In the same way, what this psalm is calling us to do, what Solomon is calling us to do, is to know our role, to know our job, and just play our role. And our role is to work hard, to live out our faith, but then trust the God-sized things to God and know that he is faithful to provide. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, note that the psalmist does not bid the builder to cease from laboring. Nor does he suggest that the watchmen should neglect their duty, nor that men should show their trust in God by doing nothing. Nay, he supposes that they will do all that they can do, but then he forbids them from forbids their fixing their trust in what they have done. And he assures them that all creature effort will be in vain unless the Creator puts forth his power. So our role is to work hard, but we don't trust our lives to our own abilities to our own efforts, to our own creative problem-solving, but we trust it all to God because without Him, it is all in vain. But He doesn't just provide food for our tables, roofs over our head, or places of employment. Through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, He has already met our greatest need. Our salvation, our future, our eternity is secure, and our sins forgiven if we have trusted our lives to Jesus. And if God has provided in our greatest area of need, surely he will provide what we need for tomorrow. And it is only when we rest in Jesus, trust Jesus, and trust his provision that we will find rest from anxious toil and worry. Solomon is telling us to fulfill our role, but to take the God-sized burdens off of our shoulders and give them to God. The only one who was created to bear them. And as we trust those burdens, those worries to God, then and only then will we experience his rest and the sleep and the peace he promises. I love 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter writes, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's an incredible promise there, first of all, that God cares for you. And because God cares for you, Peter calls on you to literally throw, to cast your worries on him. He is able to throw your worries to him. And so as you think about your future, your job, your retirement, your children, your extended family, your whatever it is in your life that causes you to lose sleep at night. As you think about those things, consider the wisdom of Solomon. Ask, is what I am worried about, is that a burden that I was intended to carry? Or is that a burden that God has promised to handle? And if it's a burden intended for God and not for you, then cast, throw it to God through prayer. Trust Him to provide as only He can provide. And then you go back to worshiping Him, fulfilling your role, and trusting God. Our confidence in God comes from His faithfulness and His past provision. We mentioned earlier, but we can trust God with the day-to-day, with the material and temporal, because He has already met our greatest need, which is our eternity, our sin, our relationship with Him. Let's look at verse 5 real quick. Solomon writes, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. 
The NIV translates it here, opponents in court. But your version might say something along the lines of, they will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And this is saying the same thing. The gate area reference here is where the judicial settlements would have taken place in that day. And so Solomon's saying is, I know that because I have a lot of sons, when it comes down to it, I'll, I'll have allies to help me out. I'll, have, I'll be acquitted when my, when my enemies come to attack me. But as followers of Jesus, our confidence, our security is much deeper than a quiver full of sons. It's much deeper than a lot of allies or anything else. Our confidence, our security rests in Jesus alone. Because the reality is there are still enemies and uncertainty knocking at the door, knocking at your gate. As you look to your future, you might have questions about your job. You might have questions about your retirement, about your family. You might fear or have experienced the loss of a loved one. You might fear a future diagnosis or fear death itself. But our hope doesn't rest in our circumstances. Our hope rests in the unchanging, always faithful character of our God and the victory in life afforded to us in Jesus. And so our final point is this. Although enemies may knock in the future, our hope and our victory rest in Jesus. The only way you can have confidence, a hope, a secure future, and eternity is to put your faith, your trust, your confidence in Jesus alone. In our world, death is the end. It is the ultimate enemy at the gate that waits for us all. But our hope is that Jesus has already conquered death, and he offers victory over it to all that will follow him. That's how Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 could look death in the eye and say, Death, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? For the Christian, we don't have to fear death, but we can trust Jesus to protect, provide, and give life even in the face of death. We walk through this life with, 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 without worries, with our, with our hope trusted to Jesus because of the confidence we have in him. A confidence that is greater than even our biggest fear, even our biggest enemy, which is death. We can trust him in the day-to-day because he has met our greatest need. So as we think on this, are we living our lives as though God has got it covered? That he has and will provide? Or are we living in constant fear and worry? Or maybe you are trusting him in some areas of your life, but there are other areas of your life that you're not sure about, that you're not ready to relinquish control of. I would encourage you today to remember who God is and turn those burdens, those worries to him. We do not have to live in fear of the future because God is our preserver. He is our protector. He is our provider. And you can trust him in all areas of your life. So although enemies surely wait in our future, Although enemies surely knock at the gate, we can have confidence in Jesus, in his protection, and in his provision. So as we reflect on this psalm, this passage, we remember it's a wisdom psalm. Meaning it shows us uh, the end of something so that we might know how to live in the present. So as you look at your life, where is it that you are toiling? Where is it that you are relying on yourself? That you are worrying instead of trusting God? For you, maybe, maybe it's in the protection area. You're worried about your future, your life, your family. And instead of trusting God, you are trying to craft your own solutions. You are trying to hold on desperately to what you have instead of trusting him with what's to come. Or maybe it's in the provision. Again, it's in your future, your relationships, your children, your resources. 
You're not sure how God's going to come through and provide for your needs. And so you're, again, trying to craft your own solutions. You are toiling and worrying about something that is clearly a God-sized burden. Whatever that area is, would you give it to him today? Would you recognize that area of worry and toil in your life and trust that God will provide and meet your need? Finally, maybe for you, it's the eternal. And you have never trusted your life to Jesus and experienced his victory over his death and his assurance of eternity and forgiveness of sins. If that's you and you're not sure what your eternity looks like, would you come and talk with me or someone you know that is a follower of Jesus and have your questions answered about what it means to trust your life to Jesus and the hope that he provides? I'm going to pray for us. As I pray for us, the worship team's going to come uh, and lead us in a final song. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are greater, that you are bigger, that you are all-powerful and mighty enough to carry the weight of our greatest burdens. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you have already conquered the grave and given us victory over death itself. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you and hasn't experienced that victory over death and that forgiveness of sins and life in you, Lord, that you would give them the courage to humble themselves and trust you today. God, you give them the courage to answer, ask their questions and find answers about who Jesus is and what it means for their lives. God, I pray that you give them the courage to trust you. Lord, we thank you that in our greatest area of need, we can have confidence in you. God, I pray for those that are followers of Jesus and, and you have made these incredible promises of protecting, of providing, of preserving, of carrying the weight of our burdens, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to live in that reality, that you would make us aware of the areas in our life where we are relying on ourselves, where we are worrying and toiling for no reason, that you would make those areas painfully obvious in our lives. Lord, that you would give us the courage to give those burdens back to you. And that we would do it today, that we would surrender all to you today. But then moment by moment, day by day, as those worries come back, you would help us to cast those anxieties on you and trust the results to you. God, we thank you for the, the wisdom of Solomon. We thank you for the freedom of a life trusted to you. God, and I pray that you would help us to rest in that, to find our sleep in that, to find our provision and our protection and our preservation in you alone. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.